I'm Holly Kanya with DRK Ranch in Morales, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are once again locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another episode of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the Texas wheat harvest is challenging this year. Of course, we don't have much wheat to harvest, but the little that we do is giving us a tough time getting it out of the field because of constant rain showers and delays. We'll check in with a custom harvester in the Texas Rolling Plains coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. The last thing Texas Panhandle farmers need is hail. Unfortunately, a lot of them have been getting just that. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. A USDA Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service proposal would enhance animal disease traceability. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association on the proposal on Texas Ag Today. Some got it, and some didn't get anything, and that is likely to make a big difference come harvest time. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. There isn't much left of the Texas wheat crop after too many months of dry weather, but farmers are trying to get what they can out of the wheat that survived. Michael Newmiller is a custom wheat harvester, and he's currently working in the Vernon, Texas area. We've been here for almost three and a half weeks. Probably the longest ever we've been in Vernon, Texas. Uh, a lot of rain days, a lot of cloudy days, a lot of misty days. Yesterday was one, and today is another one. Expectations for this year's wheat crop have been low, with a wide variation in yields. Overall, I think here in Vernon, Texas, it's been maybe a little bit better than expected. Uh, we've done some stuff as low as 8 bushels, and we've done some stuff as mid-50s. You get east of Vernon, there's some pretty decent crop, and you go on west of Vernon, out towards Childress area, and we haven't seen very good bushels out that way. It just keeps getting less and less and less as the further west you go. And the quality of the crop has been decent. Well, you know, we've had good test weights early. Um, for the amount of rain that's been on it, it's still been pretty decent. Uh, we, I know when we first started, before well, some of the rains, we were up in 62, 63 um, last some of the tickets I've seen were down 59, 60, you know, low 60s. So it's been dropping off with the rains. So it's it's been it's been good. New Miller says he's headed up to Enid, Oklahoma next, where they're expecting a very short crop, maybe one-fifth of what he usually harvests there. The Texas Panhandle is slowly drying out, and farmers are getting back to work after some of the worst flooding in years. 
Jared Blankenship farms in the Hereford area. Field work is beginning in the last two or three days. Uh, Wheatledge is being chopped uh, for the dairy industry extremely late, nearly 20 days late. Uh, there is some seed going in the ground, but we still have a wet pattern. So a tenth of an inch, 25 hundredths is enough to stop field work for several days. So it's very slow progress. About 4,000 feedlot cattle were killed during the flooding, but the upside is the rain should turn things around for both crop fields and pastures. From the confined feeding situation, uh, this is, a again, once-in-a-lifetime event. And, and very little proactive measures could have ever prevented this. Uh, from outside producers, cow-calf producers, stocker producers, uh, the net benefit in the end of having moisture will, will be worth it. Um, it's just been significant loss in the short term. Blankenship says the biggest thing that panhandle farmers and ranchers need right now is some sunshine. The last thing Texas panhandle farmers need right now is hail. But James Hunt tells us that's exactly what many of them have been getting. Texas panhandle farmer Quentin Shield Knight grows crops in Hansford, Ockletree, and Hutchinson counties. When I talked with him on Wednesday, he told me so far his crops have dodged the bullet when it comes to recent hailstorms, but some of his neighbors haven't been so lucky. I've heard some farmers are completely wiped out. And some have lost the majority. You don't hear a lot of, well, we got hit, and it'll be okay. It's a pretty distraught farmers back over to the west in Sherman and Dallas County. With harvest delays due to recent rains, a lot of wheat has been left exposed to injury, and newly planted crops are also taking a hit. The cotton losses are going to be pretty big. It's what I hear. Corn losses, there's some pretty ugly pictures out there. I mean, they had a hailstone last night around Shamrock that was the size of a softball. Yes, a lot of this recent hail has been rather large, including reports of some measuring five and a half inches in diameter, one inch more than softball size. As for his crops, in between rain delays, Shield Knight has gotten much of what he wanted to plant into the ground. We have a couple of high-speed planters, so we were fortunate to get all of our corn in and all of our dryland cotton and some of the irrigated cotton. But on our other acres where we couldn't get the wheat chopped or hayed, we're going to have to take a prevent plant behind it because it's not out of the way where we can plant. And for how his crops are doing? Where fields were able to drain properly, we could get the water off. The crops look really good. And then there's just places in each field where we held water that, you know, the crop looks a little sickly because it's yellowed up. But I think once we get this stretch of sunshine here going into wheat harvest, it looks like we might be able to rebound and fertilize this crop and get it back on its feet. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. An animal traceability system is a big priority for the cattle industry. Tom Nicoletti says there's a proposed animal traceability rule recently released by USDA. My guest today is Rebecca Barnett. She is Director of Animal Health and Food Safety Policy with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Rebecca, uh, tell us about this proposed rule uh, out of uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Back in January 18th of this year, USDA APHIS proposed a rule to enhance the animal disease traceability rules and also to increase the different data sharing that is across states with APHIS. If we were to get a foreign animal disease, especially foot and mouth disease, it would be 
devastating to the livestock industry. Up to $228 billion worth of exports immediately would stop. NCPA is supportive of enhancing animal disease traceability for trade impacts and automatically there would be a 72-hour stop and it would automatically stop exports if we were to have a foreign animal disease hit our soil. Specifically, foot and mouth disease is a big concern for the cattle industry. Certainly, foot and mouth disease has never been in this country, so we want to keep it out of the United States. Correct. Right now, it's growing across the globe, and it's in Indonesia, which is next to Australia, which is a concern for us. And so we want to make sure that we keep it away from the United States. So a little more specifically on this proposed rule from USDA, so what are they really calling for here? So they really are calling for nothing new as far as response. It's really a transfer to electronic identification, which would just be a quicker response time if we were to have an outbreak and we were trying to track that single animal. Now it's a paper system and it's just the metal ear tags. And so if we had something break out, you might have to go through paper files to find that. So it's just a lot quicker of a response if we were to have an outbreak. That is Rebecca Barnett with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Coastal Bend farmers have gotten a lot of rain this year, but things are drying out a bit right now. Harvey Buring has an update from Corpus Christi. At the end of May, I reported that the Coastal Bend area farmers had the potential for producing an excellent cotton crop this season. And that's still true for many locations, but the predictions for rain for the 6th, 7th, and 8th of June produced some widely scattered rainfall, and some of the areas closer to the coast got it. In fact, they got three to three and a half inches, while inland locations received little rain, some of areas receiving only a tenth or two. So farming areas that missed out on those timely rains are sure to see some major differences in crop yields come harvest time. Now, one thing that is for certain is that the Coastal Bend cotton crop will be strung out over a lot longer weeks than they usually are. And that's because of the variation in planting dates because of the amount of replanting that had to take place this season. Some locations are 30 to 45 days younger than fields that reached a stand in early March and are off to a good start. Now, those hot and dry days that we've had here in mid-June have also prompted some rapid decline in pasture conditions. Cattle producers are having to make some serious decisions. Fortunately, the market price is very strong for cattle at this time. And many producers are deciding to pull off calves from those cows a bit sooner than they had anticipated in order to keep body condition scores up on the cows and keep their pastures from being overgrazed. Reporting from the Coastal Bend area, this has been Harvey Buring. Research to study Barbary sheep is underway, but there are a few things we already know about the exotic species. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And there are advantages to having a short calving season. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Why do you listen? I just want to stay informed while I'm on the go. News on the radio, it's nice because it's just a quick snippet and I don't have to go searching for it or grab a paper. I listen to radio because anywhere that I'm going, I'm listening to music or I'm listening to a talk show or I'm just trying to stay up on current events. I always turn into the radio to see if I need to take shelter or where it's hitting to see what I need to be preparing for. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There are advantages to having a short calving season, but Dr. Bob Judd says some cattle producers calve year-round without any set season. The Oklahoma Beef Management Survey in 2017 revealed that 91% of the producers reported a defined calving season. However, when looking at calf crop born per month, only 34% of the producers had a defined calving season, which is when 80% of the calves are born in a 90-day window. A defined calving and breeding season is defined as a situation where all calves are born in a set 90-day period. If you do not have a 90-day calving season, it is harder to detect cows with reproductive issues, and the longer it takes to determine this breeding problem. Another study looked at 394 ranches in the southwest United States, and the breeding season ranged from 30 days to all year round. For each additional day of the breeding season, there was a decrease in pounds of calf wean per cow and increased the annual cost of producing 100 pounds of wean calf by 4.7 cents. So a year-round breeding season resulted in 45 fewer pounds of calf per cow per year on the average of a 75-day breeding season. This is 15-year-old data, and in today's money, the producer would lose $112 for a 500-pound calf in a year-round breeding season versus a 75-day breeding season. A short breeding season also narrows the calving window, so you can work your calves at the same time, including vaccination, dehorning, and weaning. And it helps marketing the calves as they are more uniform in size. Even if you just have a few calves, a study showed that marketing 10 calves at the same time increase the value by $25 per calf. I know changing to a shorter breeding season will be some work at first and may decrease the number of calves per year initially, but you potentially will make more money in the long run. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Research to study Barbary sheep in West Texas is underway, but Jessica Domo says there are a few things we already know about this exotic species. On our last two shows, we discussed a research project that is underway to learn more about how Barbary sheep, also called Audad, are impacting our native wildlife. While that research is underway now, we already do know some things about the exotic species from the arid mountain ranges of North Africa. For example, Barbary sheep were brought to Texas in the 1950s to give hunters additional hunting opportunities. Since then, they've thrived in the desert landscape of West Texas. Justin French, the big game director for the Borderlands Research Institute at Sol Ross State University, explains. The conditions that they're from in North Africa are kind of more extreme desert conditions than we have in West Texas. And so comparatively, it's kind of a garden of Eden for them. They're able to utilize it really well and they don't have any natural predators, so their numbers get out of hand pretty quickly. French says there's not a lot known about Audad reproduction at this time. 
that's not been studied yet, believe it or not. And so lambing studies of Audat are on our radar. We need to understand how they reproduce, when they reproduce. You know, we see evidence that it's twice a year and they often twin. Sean Gray, mule deer and pronghorn program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says we also know that natural mortality in Audat is very low. There's some predation on them, but not much. Nothing to curtail population growth. That's a real big issue that we're running into right now. Audat can eat grass, shrubs, and forbs, and may use the same watering holes mule deer and bighorn sheep use in the desert. TPWD and the BRI at Sol Ross are working with landowners, some non-governmental organizations, Texas Tech University, and Texas A&M Kingsville to learn more about the species so they can be better managed while also protecting our native wildlife. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. Slightly higher close for the live cattle market on Thursday, but feeder cattle dropped lower thanks to a big jump in corn prices. We'll check out all the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen? I typically listen here at work from my desk on my way to work in the morning. When we wake up, it goes on the radio. I can hear a song and be instantly transported back to a time in my life that I enjoy remembering. I think that's what I like listening to radio for is just to stay informed on whether it's news, sports, new music, anything. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Live cattle futures evened out after a day of pullback on Wednesday. In Thursday's trade, we closed slightly higher with June live cattle up 12 cents, 177.57. The August up 10, 171.07, while October was up 22 cents, 174.35. But a big hit on the feeder cattle, thanks to a big jump in corn prices. We'll get to that corn market in just a minute, but right now, August feeder cattle down a dollar seventy-seven Thursday, one thirty-four twelve. September feeders down a dollar sixty, two thirty-seven fifty-two, while the October was down a dollar forty, two thirty-nine eighty. Cash-fed cattle market slow to get going this week. As far as Thursday goes, we saw a few sales in the Northern Plains. Nebraska feedlots letting cattle go at 185 on a live basis. That's five bucks lower than last week. Dressed prices also fell five dollars to 295. Here in the South, we have feedlots asking 185 to 186. Boxed beef continues to climb into the stratosphere. Choice up 279. At 341.85, while Select was up 81 cents at 310.07. Now let's check those auction markets. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. My guest today is Henry Pickett from Abilene Livestock. They sell them every Tuesday. Henry, how did it go this week in Abilene? Oh, pretty good. Ended up with about 800 cattle with 180 cows. We had some really nice pairs. They went back to the country. They're four and five years old, and they bring from. Uh, Sixteen fifty to twenty three hundred dollars. Then we had some really nice yarlings. Had some six hundred and eighty pound Charlotte steers bring two oh one. Some heifer mates to them bring a buck ninety. We had some six hundred fifty pound heifers bring two twenty five. 
and some 650 pound steers bring 260 so it's a pretty good deal had a little more rain in the area and i think it's toward the end of the week's going to turn off hot and dry so we might start seeing some more numbers good are you aware of anything for next week yet uh, we're supposed to have another set of uh, 100 and something cows probably be all ages four to seven years old there'll be some pairs and some breads and then we've got a set of yearlings coming from out west there'll be over 100 of them and they'll weigh from five to 750 it's a calf crop that's been turned out we'll tell everybody how to get a hold of you henry pickett here at the barn we can be reached at 325-673-7865 or my cell number is 940-733-8208 henry we appreciate you thank you so much thank you bye-bye in texas neighbors listening here on the texas farm bureau radio network we appreciate you remember i'm larry marble this is walking the pens and you're listening to us today Courtesy of Texas Ag today. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finish mixed on Thursday. The July contract was down 85 cents, 91.92. August lean hogs up 62 at 90.30. Class three milk was lower. June milk down 11 cents, 14.94 a hundred weight. With July milk down 12, 15.44 a hundred. The cotton market defied the fundamental factors. We had some positive news with a sharply higher Dow and a lower dollar, but that didn't seem to matter. July cotton dropping 115 points to close at 80.64. The lightly traded October down 48, 81.88, with December down 51, 79.60 cents. Now to that big jump in the corn market. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about the dry weather in the Midwestern Corn Belt. A new forecast came out on Thursday showing increasing temperatures and very little rain for parts of Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, and Illinois. And that sent the corn market jumping double digits. July corn up 15 and a half, 623 and a quarter. September corn up 25 cents at 570 a bushel, with December corn up 25 and a quarter, 574 and a half. That corn market pulled the wheat market higher with it. July Kansas City wheat up 27 cents at 812 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up 31 and a quarter, 661 and a half. In the energy markets, July natural gas was up 21 cents, 256. July West Texas crude up 232 at 7059 a barrel. Now we mentioned a higher stock market. The Dow jumped 431 points Thursday afternoon at 34,411. The Nasdaq up 166, 13,793, and the S&P was up 55 at 4,428. That wraps up our look at the markets and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.